0: So normally when I prepare a sermon to share with you all, <clears throat> I will read through it out loud several times and time it and make sure that it's about right. I didn't do that this time. So I think maybe the sermon will be a little bit shorter, but I'm not going to promise that because it could be longer. So uh, hopefully it comes out about right. With this uh, being the day that it is, July 4th, it seemed appropriate that uh, we too talk about freedom. So i put some thoughts together on freedom from a spiritual perspective, and that's my topic for the day. I think that as we explore this concept, we can find that there's quite a few different facets to it, Uh, things that we have freedom to do, things that we have freedom from, and uh, it's going to be a pretty simple message. We are going to go through uh, quite a few passages at different times today. So you may want to have your Bibles handy to flip to passages. And the first one we're going to start off with is the one that Gage read for us. From the very, very beginning of mankind, uh, we find that God gives mankind freedom. We had quite a bit of freedom. So let's start there. So the verse Gage read, verse 15, Genesis 2, 15, God put man and woman in the garden. And then the one instruction in verse 16, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat from it you will certainly die so right there from the beginning freedom freedom to eat anything we wanted in the garden except for fruit of that one tree so we see at least a couple types of freedom there Um, first of all we're free to enjoy the many physical blessings that God's given us in this world You know, all the trees in the garden they could eat from. Adam was given the freedom to eat from everything there. And uh, I would suggest we still pretty much have that same freedom today. We can eat, eat of the bounty of the land whenever we choose. Of course, after the fall, it takes a bit more work to get that. But we still have that freedom to harvest from the land. And throughout all of Scripture, we see that the land sustained mankind. Um... Now, certainly there were times where mankind had to struggle through famine and things like that, but ultimately they, sustained, they were sustained. Sometimes uh, there was a bit of direct help from God involved in that, and we, we still enjoy much of that today. But also in this passage we see another freedom. And at this earliest point in human history, God gives mankind the freedom of choice. Even before Eve was created... Adam's free will was explained. God essentially gave him a single law to follow, one law, just one. And the language here is interesting because even if you don't know the rest of the story, verse 17 makes mankind's freedom... um, I'm sorry, I had a bug attack me and I lost my place. (laughs) Um, So even if you don't know the rest of the story... The freedom is clear in verse 17. Verse 17 could have been written differently. It could say, but you cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God could have uh, made it work that way if he had chosen to. He could have placed some sort of barrier around that tree. You know, he could have sealed that tree off. So that people, in fact, he did that after the fall, right? Um, actually, I'm, he did that with the tree of life after the fall, but still, he put, put a barrier around the tree. But, of course, that's not what it says. We do have the freedom to make our own choices. We've had that from the very beginning, even when those choices have extreme consequences. A close follow-on to the freedom to choose is the freedom to act, you might question what the difference is there, but you know it's one thing to choose to do something, but there's this small, small moment where your plan to do something can be prevented. And it, it might seem like a trivial distinction, but you can actually see it all the time around you if you just look. Um, if you think about a pet or a child, they can clearly choose to do something, but a pet owner, a parent can intervene and stop it from happening. And, you know, clearly we see in chapter 3 that we as humans do, in fact, have the freedom to act on our choices. God undoubtedly was fully aware of what was going on between the serpent and Eve, right? He, he had to have known what was transpiring at that point in time. He had to have known that Eve had made her choice to eat of that fruit. And if you imagine the scene, you can also imagine the possibility that God could have, like, swooped in like a parent and, you know, he could, have, he could have knocked the fruit out of her hand and said, no, you know, no, you can't eat that. Don't do that. You know, he could have done that right before she bit into it. He didn't do that. We have the freedom to act. We can make choices. We can act on those choices, for better or for worse. And then based on those two freedoms, the freedom to choose and the freedom to act... I think the rest of the Old Testament unfolds so that we can see those two freedoms playing out over and over again in different ways throughout the history of the Old Testament. Mankind makes bad choices and engages in bad actions. God destroys most of, the, most of civilization with the flood. Uh, we, we got a fresh start after that. And then before too long, what happens next? We have Sodom and Gomorrah. Again, God brings destruction, albeit a bit more limited. Um, Soon after that, or or I guess concurrent with that, we uh, get into the period of Abraham and his family. And as time progresses, God's laws start becoming codified through the Ten Commandments and then all of the regulations that followed. While our spiritual ancestors received more and more guidelines and laws, they very clearly retained their freedom to live as they wished, um, for better or for worse. When we consider all of this history and the things we learn from it, all the way from Adam and Eve up through Abraham and Moses and on, we can find in there another freedom. Which, it's really just kind of a a combination or culmination of the first two freedoms we already talked about. And that freedom is the freedom to be obedient or to be disobedient. From day one in the garden, through the time of the flood... And for all time since then, we've always had this freedom to decide whether to obey God or not to obey God. It's our choice. But there is an ironic twist to, uh, to these freedoms. While we do have the freedom to act as we wished, the result of that is it makes us slaves to sin. Under the old law, all of the Israelites knew this, or they should have known this, even if they didn't, that their choices had... And their choices and actions they did have consequences now whether they always properly addressed that or not is another matter but they were in fact slaves to sin nothing that they could do could fully repair the relationship with God and remove that penalty from their sins a penalty that was stipulated from the very beginning in the garden it's restated in a different way in Romans 6:23, and we're going to be in Romans 6 for a few minutes if you want to turn there Romans 6.23 makes it clear. It says, for the wages of sin is death. <clears throat> so in Romans 6, let's now consider some things that we have freedom from. So we've looked at a few things we have freedom to. Now let's look at freedom from. Right here in Romans 6, verses 8 and following, we learn that we have freedom from punishment for sin, or the ability to have freedom from that. Although the wages of sin is death, Romans 8, Uh, Romans says in verse 8, Now if we died with Christ, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. So we can indeed have freedom from punishment for our sins. The sentence pronounced in the garden, it's been commuted uh, through the sacrifice of Christ. Likewise, we also find in the same passage that we have freedom from slavery to sin. Now, while at times and places throughout history, there are those who certainly were and are subjected to slavery. That's a historical fact. Physical slavery. Some, even believers. Scripture tells us, though, that we are free from spiritual slavery, the spiritual slavery that we had to sin. Romans 6, 6, and 7 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now later in that same chapter, we find that we instead are, what? Slaves to righteousness. Verses 18 is where that's found. So, which one of those is going to lead to a better result for us? Being a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness? So to wrap up on Romans 6, I want to look at verses 19 through 23. Romans 6:19. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing ever wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, our freedom of choice and our freedom to act historically made us slaves to sin, which at times can feel like freedom, but ultimately it leads to death. Through God's redemptive plan, though, we can choose to be slaves to righteousness instead which leads to holiness with the result of eternal life. And to me, that one sounds more like true freedom. Now, if we're truly obedient, then we also acquire another freedom, and that's a freedom from impurities. So let's run through several passages on this topic. First, let's go to Acts 10 and consider Peter's vision. Um, In Acts 10, we see God educating Peter regarding the acceptability of the Gentiles. And in verse 15... He says, The voice spoke to him a second time, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. I take this as a pretty clear indication that God provides a path for man to be made clean. He made the Gentiles clean. He can make any man clean. Hebrews nine speaks about the cleansing process of the old law, and then in verse thirteen and fourteen explains how we are cleansed. Hebrews nine thirteen, it starts the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean how much more then will the blood of christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to god cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living god so again we see that we are made clean and set free from death by the blood of christ and finally let's look at second peter 1 starting in verse 5 For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Verse 10. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So here Peter makes it pretty clear that we have been cleansed from our past sins as Christians. We have freedom from our impurities. And with this passage though, I want to transition to another freedom that we have and that's uh, in verse 11 it speaks of a welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When we reach the end of our earthly life, assuming that we have chosen to be obedient, and we do receive that welcome into heaven, we're going to enjoy another type of freedom. And that's freedom from suffering. So finally turn to Rome or I'm sorry Revelation 21. And I'm going to focus on verse 4 here, but um, I think that just the the passage here, starting in verse 1, the imagery is just so rich, I I didn't want to skip over reading it. So I'm going to start in verse 1, Revelation 21. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Verse 4 sounds pretty good, doesn't it? We'll have freedom from death, freedom from mourning, freedom from crying, freedom from pain. Is there anybody here who can't relate to at least some of those things today? I'm confident that everyone has experienced some of those things at least. But the passage doesn't end there. Uh, Let's read a few more verses, picking up in verse 6. It says he said to me, "It is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of water, from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars" they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So just as those who are obedient are promised beautiful things, there's also a promise for those who are not cleansed by the blood of Christ. And that leads me to the final freedom I want to talk about. And that's our freedom to share the gospel message. And it may sound strange in some ways to think of this as a freedom because, you know, after all, for us, it's really kind of more of a command. Um, But simply, you know, simply reading the Great Commission and that makes that pretty clear that it's something we should be doing. And there's plenty of other passages as well. But it is also a freedom we have. Now, exactly what that freedom means, though, depends considerably on where you happen to live. In this country, you know, we still have a reasonable amount of freedom to share the gospel and preach and teach as we wish, although it does seem like that is getting eroded more and more as the years go by. But even in countries that don't have that kind of political freedom, Christians still have a type of freedom to share the gospel. So how how can I say that when in some places, you know, you can be put to death for, for having a Bible even? Well, I can say this because of some of the other freedoms that we've already discussed. Because you see, for a Christian who has been set free from their impurities through the, washing of blood, through the washing of the blood of Christ, and for a Christian who has the choice to choose to be obedient or to not be obedient, a slave to righteousness or a slave to the world, that necessarily gives them the freedom to share the good news. It may not be easy. I'm not going to pretend that, you know, I can understand the situation. It may even cost someone their life to share the good news in some places. But the freedoms that they have because of Christ can give them the confidence to exercise their freedom to save souls. If you are promised all the things we read about in Revelation, then that gives you freedom. I'm reminded of my communion talk last week uh, in that I talked about the fact that we do have a high priest who is tempted in every way. He was tempted to put his own life ahead of others. But he he didn't do it. He carried out his mission. He served as the role model for being fully obedient to God, even to the point of death. We're also called as Christians to exercise that same level of commitment, no matter how difficult it may be. God has truly given us many freedoms. We have the freedom to choose, the freedom to act, freedom to obey or disobey, freedom from slavery to sin, freedom from eternal death if we choose to be obedient. And we're promised freedom from pain and suffering when we enter eternity. You can probably think of some other freedoms that we can find in scripture as well that we enjoy because of being in christ or because of god's love for us so i'm going to close with one verse which admittedly i might be stretching the context of just a little bit but i think it sums up the point of my sermon very well and that's galatians 5 1 galatians 5 1 says it is for freedom that christ has set us free stand firm then And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So, before we move on to the Lord's Supper, I'll wrap with this thought. If anybody needs to enter into the freedom that Christ offers, you've got plenty of opportunities to do that. You can reach out to myself, Eric, any number of people here, I'm sure, would be happy to talk to you about it and find out how to gain the true freedom that we have in Christ.